Hey, worldly listeners. As you hear this, I'm out traveling with family because it's the holidays, and I, like you, would like to enjoy that. But because we didn't want to deprive you of your worldly experience, we went through the archives and picked a classic worldly episode, one in which I go to Hungary and talk to a migrant about what his experience in one of the most anti-migration countries in the West is like. We think that you'll really enjoy this one because Ibrar's story, the refugee that I meet, is a really important one to tell and retell again. So have a happy holidays and a Merry New Year. Welcome to Worldly from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham. I'm here with Jen Williams, as always, and a frequent guest of ours, Alex Ward, a writer on our foreign team. We've heard a lot recently about immigrants and asylum seekers in the United States, but this is a global problem, and the ongoing refugee and migration crisis is transforming politics across Europe. A few governments, most prominently the Hungarian one, have been feuding with Germany over its openness to refugees. And in the last few days... German Chancellor Angela Merkel has made a radical policy shift in the anti-migration direction. I actually just spent a week in Hungary reporting on this story and other ones. So today on the show, we're going to talk all about immigration and asylum to Europe. But first, Jen, let's start on the basics of Europe and immigration. What has been happening and why is this such a big deal? Yeah. So for the past several years, um, there was this massive flood of people coming into Europe from places like Syria and Afghanistan in particular, as well as um, all across Africa and kind of beyond, um, in part driven by, you know, the Syrian civil war, the war in Afghanistan, climate change, things like that. So you had this massive kind of flood of refugees that just suddenly kind of spiked trying to get into Europe. And at first, the EU in general was was fairly open, right? So they had this kind of open border policy. They were taking in lots of refugees. Then there was this massive right-wing backlash against migrants and against political parties and political leaders who were advocating for this more open border policy. And Hungary basically led the charge and built two border fences to keep refugees from crossing the border into Hungary from Serbia, which actually isn't an EU country. So I was there about a week ago and and I met a refugee in Hungary named Ivrar, whose story really illustrates what closing borders means for actual people and this restriction on migration and why it matters. So I met him in Budapest at a place called Central European University, which is actually under attack by the Hungarian government for being essentially too liberal and democratic. Uh, Ibrar is completing a high school equivalent degree there for migrants. And picture a 19-year-old guy uh, with a very fashionable haircut, thin on the sides and long on the top, and and a broad, really winning smile. Ibrar is Hazara, uh, and there are people who are being persecuted in Pakistan. In the city where we were living, militant groups were killing Hazara people on the basis of their beliefs and their ethnicity. His family couldn't afford to go with him when he fled this violence. So he left by himself and he took a dangerous route through Iran, Turkey. Then he crossed the Mediterranean in this little boat uh, on his way to Serbia. The goal of all of this was to get into Hungary through Serbia, the closest access point, given that Hungary's in the EU and it, it would accept people. But by the time he got there, Hungary had put out these big border fences with barbed wire and armed guards designed to block people like him from entering the country. So he waited outside of this fence for for months in giant U.N.-built tents that had about 200 people in them. 
he has an interview with the Hungarian authorities, waits two more months, and then they take him not quite across the border, but just across it in a thing called a transit zone where they hold refugees while they're waiting to decide whether or not to grant them asylum. In transit zone, like you, you, you could say you're in a kind of detention center. First of all, you're not allowed to go outside. From outside, people are not allowed to come inside to meet you. In the transit zone, he had no internet. His phone was useless without his Hungarian SIM card, so he couldn't talk to his family or any of his friends, and they didn't give him anything to do. 86 days, nearly three months. Fully uh, disconnected from outside world. You're living there. You're just getting two-time meal, two-time a day. And uh, other than that, nothing. When I was at the border, people who were waiting there to get across told me that they had recently put in Wi-Fi into the transit zones, but that that's new. And Ibrar remembers it as the worst part of his entire long journey, even the dangerous boat ride across the Mediterranean. Yeah, it was a kind of nightmare. <laughs> I I survived that like three months there, but if if I think now about that, I'm like shocked how I spent it three months there in that situation. Do you think they intentionally made it miserable? Probably, yes, because mo- most of the, the time, like if you are, if you are like asking any question from social workers, not police, but social worker, those social workers were saying, okay, the, the gate towards Serbia is open 24 hours for you. You could go back. Just in case the subtext there wasn't clear, Ibar is saying the social workers were telling him the gate towards Serbia is open 24 hours for you. You could go back. And that's the social workers. It's very clear that they're trying to push people back across the border and not let them in. And even now that he's in Hungary and he's been admitted, things are tense. The government just ran for re-election in April and the campaign centered around blocking migration and anti-migrant rhetoric. And Ibar said that that made the situation for migrants in Hungary scary. Everywhere people were like talking about these topics. So on the train, if I, I was on the, on the bus, if, if you are opening Facebook, so there are ads. Yeah. <laughs> if you're turning on the television, so like there are the news is. And yeah, it was like quite uncomfortable for me. So, Jen, Alex, put this in context. Explain how this anti-migrant sentiment, you know, that Ibar experienced is shaking up Europe and and starting with Germany, arguably the most important country in Europe today. Yeah, so it's it's not actually just Hungary. Like you said, it's it's in Germany. So just recently, you have the German interior minister who basically threatened to go rogue, right? So he's part of Angela Merkel's ruling coalition, the German chancellor, Angela Merkel. And he basically said, look, I'm sick of this. I'm done. We're going to shut down the southern border. And Merkel's like, no, we literally can't do that. We can't do that without an agreement with the EU. So I'll go talk to them. So she goes and talks to the EU. And they had this like marathon meeting where you have like the heads of all these different European countries, including from Hungary, right? And she's in there like trying to convince them to do something. She's in there basically begging like, hey, my government's going to collapse if I don't give them something. So they came to this really kind of squishy, vague deal where they essentially agreed to build these like migrant centers around Europe in other countries, not Germany, and agreed to work together. So she comes out after this like marathon, like 
hours and hours long meeting and she's got like bags under her eyes. She's exhausted. She's like stumbling out. She's like, all right, I got this deal. Uh, it's, it's not great. It's a step forward, but here we go. Right. And it seemed to have kind of at the moment sort of pacified part of the party. So the spokesman for that kind of sister party of hers that was in her coalition comes out and says, okay, well, we heard some good things. That's good. And then Hungary pulls out of the deal, which is a massive issue for Merkel, because after all these hours of negotiations, after putting her entire political life, you know, life on the line, she now has to go back to the EU and try to strike up another deal. And it's really kind of insane like how anti the EU this is, right? Like it's a it's an entity that has been so open to immigration for so long. It is part of its four freedoms is effectively to allow the people to move around as they will. And so for this to kind of be a sticking point, for this to kind of maybe take down a German government is is really just a striking thing in the history of European politics. Right. So Merkel, like this deal collapses that she worked on, right? So she goes back home and she's like, all right, look, what do I have to do with, to, you know, with her own party? Like, what do I have to do to make you guys happy here, right? And they essentially come to this deal, which is stunning. And Merkel agrees to build border camps, to build camps on the border and to turn away some migrants. And that is a huge deal, right? Merkel is like the one who is the beacon of letting in refugees and, and making, you know, the EU open border policy. And because of this domestic political turmoil and because of Hungary and everything, she ends up essentially taking this hard kind of right turn and abandoning a lot of her principles and going, all right, fine, we'll we'll build camps on the border. And this is what's scary because this sounds so familiar to what the, you were just talking about with Ibra in your interview, right? Like, is, is Angela Merkel sort of, again, the standard bearer willing to make another kind of camp that sounds very much like the one in Hungary? Well, no, it's literally the same thing in terms of the name, right? They're transit zones. And the idea is that you hold people for there while their claim is being decided. It's it that In that sense, it's the same thing as the Hungarian system. The question is whether or not they're implemented in the same way. The goal in Hungary, not explicitly, but more or less explicitly, as Ibar said, was to keep people out to prevent them from getting in. In Germany, uh, Merkel is claiming that everyone's everyone will be processed within 48 hours. And so a decision will be made and they won't have to stay there for three months and suffer and be told the door out is right over there and so on. But, you know, it's different than Germany's previous policy of unconditionally letting people in and just saying, you get to stay here while we decide on your asylum claim. And they don't really turn people away, or they didn't in the past. They wanted to let people in and rescue them. And now, you know, they want to send people to other EU countries, or if they can't find another EU country, they claim to have an agreement with Austria, where they'll go to Austria. But now Austria is saying, no, 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 we never agreed to that. It is such a reversal. It's hard for me to overemphasize how different this is than the way Germany has been in the past. Right. And so, you know, on, on the plus side, right, her government's probably stable for the time being, right? Like they've made this deal and that's why Merkel caved. But in the long run, being you know, radical right light is not really the best look for Angela Merkel. Right. It's not politically effective either because then— Alternative for Germany, or AfD, as they're referred to in Germany. Um, the far-right party. Yeah, is just going to say, well, if you guys don't like immigrants, we don't like immigrants even more. And we're going to do even more to keep out migrants and refugees and so on. Historically, parties that cave like this don't do very well at holding up against far-right parties in elections. You need to define a contrast. But it seems, at least from Merkel's point of view, that public opinion had shifted so far decisively against migration 
that she had no choice but to come to some kind of compromise. Just for maybe like a second, I think it's worth pointing out just how, again, historically weird this is. Like in 1952, when the European Union sort of project started, it was all about bringing people together, allowing people to move within the entire continent. The whole reason for this to exist was so that like war would no, no longer break out. If Europeans just kept meeting with each other or even accepting migrants, then everyone would kind of start being okay. The fact that this has started to change, that borders are starting to close, that European politicians are starting to move further right, like this goes completely against decades and decades of policy. There is, to be said, the 2003 Dublin regulation. And what this does is effectively any migrant that comes into Europe, they have to be in the first country they arrive in while they seek an asylum claim. And that gets completed. So a lot of these countries, you know, use that as an excuse. Like they first came in through making it up, Greece or Italy, so they have to go back. Like, this right. has been used throughout Europe to push people off. And that's but now, what the interior minister was trying to say. Exactly same, right. Same argument, right? Exactly right. And so in, in 2015, Germany waived that for Syrian migrants, right, escaping the war. And so now what we have is a situation where maybe Merkel went too far for her public. But even so, like, let's be clear how against the progression of history it has been for Europe of the last 70 years. And what that illustrates is that this anti-migrant backlash isn't just about refugees. It's not just about the literal people coming in. Right, because the numbers hard. have actually dropped off. Right. Right. That's the thing that we haven't mentioned is that like all of this political turmoil is happening right now, but the numbers have dropped off significantly. There are still migrants and refugees who are suffering and who are at these borders, but the numbers are nothing like we saw at the peak. What this means is despite the decline in people trying to get into Europe, the issue is still politically salient. People really care about this, and and honestly, they care in the scary direction. Right. They care about keeping migrants out and keeping Europe, far parties will say this openly, Christian and European, and we all know what that means. Right. Yes. And so it links up to a kind of authoritarian populism and provides fuel for it, right? It's not just we purely want the numbers to go down because they already have. Right. It's that we want a certain cultural vision of what Europe needs to be or should be, and we are using migrants as a scapegoat to be able to push and advance that agenda. And the fact that Merkel, who was the one, I mean, there are others, not, you know, there are other politicians or other political parties. There are just regular people who are fighting against this too. But Merkel was like the symbol, right? She was like the last bastion of this earlier kind of more open, more liberal, more honestly kind and humane kind of policy. And the fact that we just saw her finally kind of cave that's stunning. And that sends a huge signal that, like, the populist right-wing anti-immigrant sentiment is kind of winning. And it bothers me that the U.S. is not helping in this case. I mean, you even had Trump basically tweet against Merkel during this whole crisis and, and stoke this fear even further. And we're not accepting as many migrants, you know, refugees as we could be. Uh, it's like this is this is sort of the moment where the West was supposed to step up. Right. This was the time. And we have completely failed. And it's left people like Merkel, like just waving in the wind. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a select group of people a lot of money. But being an online cutting-edge experience, that's not usually one of its hallmarks. Well, that is no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. They're revolutionary models transforming the industry thanks to software that cuts out costly middlemen and old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you usually only see at giant institutions. 
bringing real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest, you will be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate pros. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property within your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Visit fundrise.com worldly. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com worldly to have your first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com worldly. Hey, everybody, that's it for our show this week. I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, for putting together this special Blast from the Past episode. And again, have some great holidays. Really enjoy this time. It's really, really special and important.